Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, as Jerry said, my name is Paul. If we've never met before, I'm the lead pastor at Genesis Church. And uh, one of the privileges I have is spending time at both our Noblesville and our Carmel campus. And so I get to go back and forth and uh, just see firsthand some of the great things that God's doing through our church and how it's growing. And man, just standing out in the lobby today and uh, seeing all the activity. I mean, the service had already started and the lobby was still filled and somebody made the comment, I wonder why everybody's not going in. And I'm like, well, this is good stuff. You know, I mean, this is the kind of thing uh, that we hope for and pray for. And so thanks for being a part of this church. For those of you that are new, uh, welcome. And for those of you that are watching online today, uh, we're glad that you're here. It's been it's been like four weeks since I've been able to be here with you at the Carmel campus. A lot of different things going on in my life. I'll tell you about uh, a couple of those. Uh, but like many of you, these last few weeks have been about getting my middle school daughter back to school. And I got a junior in high school back to school. My wife is off during the summer. She's a school nurse, so she's back and full swing now, but also a huge step for our family, and that is we sent our oldest to college last week. And so uh, I've got a boy at Taylor University, and we're so excited to have him there, but I got to tell you, it's just big life change uh, for us, sending our oldest away. Some of you know the drill. Some of you have already done this. Somebody was asking me the other day, well, how are you holding up, Dad? And I said, well, I'll tell you what. The other morning, I was sitting in my front room reading my Bible because I'm spiritual like that, and uh, I was looking out the front window and the neighbor boy across the street, he's probably four, came running down the driveway and he was standing at the edge, jumping up and down, watching as the garbage truck drove by. And I lost it. I'm not kidding. I cried for the next 15 minutes. I had to hide from the rest of my family so they didn't see me uh, crying. So that's a little bit of a glimpse of what's going on in our home, but there's something else too. Let me introduce you to my dad. Uh, this is my dad, Dennis, and uh, he and my mom live in Springfield, Illinois, where I grew up. He's 71 years old. He's uh, healthy. He still leads a church there. And I was preaching here uh, at the Carmel campus uh, at the end of July, uh, preaching a message on Psalm 23 about the valleys of life. Uh, that we go through and the good news uh, of Psalm 23 and other places in scriptures that we have a good shepherd. You know, we do as followers of Jesus, we have a good shepherd that leads us and guides us through all of the ups and downs of life, all of the seasons of life, including the difficult ones. And I finished up that message and I was driving home uh, from the Carmel campus when my sister called and said, hey, dad's having stroke-like symptoms. You might want to get here. And so I packed a bag real quick, made the three and a half hour drive back to Springfield, arrived in time to learn that my dad wasn't having a stroke, but instead they had discovered a cancerous tumor on the left side of his brain that was giving him these complications. That was a Sunday. Two days later, on July 26th, he had brain surgery to remove the tumor. The good news is that he went home a few days later and has been recovering at home since really well. The hard news is that he started chemo and radiation this past week, and that's going to be a six-week journey. Uh, for those of you that have lived this, Maybe in your own life or uh, people that you love that have gone through things like cancer, you know that cancer is no fun. Uh, we all know, we all realize that we've got a tough road uh, ahead of us, but, but he and my mom, all of us are putting our faith and our trust in Jesus because where else are we supposed to turn? And so we are choosing to trust him. And so I want to just say thanks to all of you who have reached out and prayed for my family, if you knew about it. And I realize not everybody knew that. Um, I'm so thankful 
And then my parents have a great church family in central Illinois. I'm so thankful, grateful to be a part of a wonderful church family. I can't imagine going through things of life like this without a church family. I hope you're learning that and experiencing that in your own life too, uh, as we need each other, right? I mean, we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our community, but we're also called to be the hands and feet of Jesus to one another. And you've done that so well for me. And personally, I've never been through anything like this. And that first week in particular with my mom and my dad and my sisters was incredibly frightening and emotional, but just as promised, Jesus has been leading me. Uh, he's been caring for me and protecting me as a good shepherd does, protecting me from, from doubts and my fears uh, and anxiety. And I bet many of you have a story of your own. Even those of you watching today probably have some trouble, some of you that have some trouble and some difficulties in your life right now, trouble that might be producing some fears and doubts with you, like some of you might be dealing with a, a personal health issue of your own, maybe something like cancer. Uh, maybe you've got a kid that's going through some really difficult times in life. One of the things that I've learned is you worry about your kids just as much the older they get as you do when they are younger. Maybe you've got some challenges at work that you have little or no control over. Uh, maybe your marriage is in a tough place right now. Uh, there's the personal stuff, and we've all got it, but then there's that stuff that affects all of us, whether it's just news of a, another shooting, uh, to economic worries, to news about war and politics, like all of these bring so much fear and concern into our hearts. And so we all have troubles or, or if you don't now, like sooner or later, we're all going to go through difficult times. But here's what really messes with me. And I want you to see if any of you can relate with me on this. I'll just be honest with you. I, it's the imaginary troubles of life, all right? I don't know how many of you go there with me on this, but here's what I mean by it. It's the, the things that you worry about that haven't even happened yet or will ever happen. All right, I got one honest person in the room. All right, some others, all right? We, we have these worries. Call it the what ifs or the, the worst case scenario. Like it's, it's really amazing when you think about it, the places that my mind can go and think about. Think about the potential pain and circumstances of just about anything. In fact, I heard somebody say, imaginary fears can sometimes be far worse than reality. And I found that to be true. But maybe I shouldn't be surprised because Jesus said, and if you've been following along with us in John, you know this. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And so at least he warned us, right? I mean, at least he gave us that upfront warning. But if I'm honest, I need more than that. Like I need to know, I, I need more than, I need to know that even though everyone goes through hard times and that we're all gonna share in this experience of hard times together, I gotta know more. All right, I need to know that there's more than that. And thankfully, thankfully there is. Like thankfully there is for us. Like Jesus has more to say about our pain, uh, your pain, the difficulties that we go through in life. And as we're gonna see today, he has something very special and powerful to say about our pain and fear and really how we see life in this world. And interestingly, John 14, I don't know if you know this or not, sometimes John 14 is referred to as the Psalm 23 of the New Testament. I read that this past week, it put a smile on my face. And, and I think in the same way that Psalm 23 is meant to encourage us through the valleys of life, John 14 does the same. It encourages us, especially when we need him the most. And what we're going to see today is this. And what I pray that God will do in your heart and what I've seen him do in mine this week is just this, that even in the waiting, even when he seems absent, uh, even when everything around you appears to be coming unraveled, here's the hope that we have. You can trust Jesus. 
Uh, you can put your faith and your trust in Jesus as our leader, as our Savior, as our Lord. And you and I, we can trust him in everything that we need. Let me just pray for a moment. Father in heaven, I thank you again for this time today and for every person that's here. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a Lord that knows all things. You know every person. You know every story. You know every circumstance. You know every worry, hurt, or trouble that may be present in our hearts and our minds right now. And you care about us. You care about these things. And I pray, Lord, that you will today, in some powerful way that can only come from you, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would increase our faith and our trust in you, that you would do something special here today for each of us. We need that from you. We desire that from you. And so have your way today. Have your way in these words and through your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, turn to John chapter 14 if you've got a Bible with you, the New Testament. We've been uh, studying through the Gospel of John together this year in this series called Grow. The last two weeks, we've watched Jesus and his disciples in the upper room, and it's the night before his crucifixion. Many of these last chapters that we're reading here in John are really that final night. That's the case for today. If you've been with us or if you've been reading along on your own, you've seen how for yourself how Jesus washed his disciples' feet, and then he particularly predicted his own betrayal, and now he continues in chapter 14 by offering some uh, encouraging, hope-filled words to a group of men who, like you and me, were very afraid about what was to come and what was before them. Today, I want to talk to you about one of the great promises that Jesus offers to his disciples that he shares for you and me for us when we go through trouble. Next week, we're going to be in an outdoor service together, all of us one location together, Federal Hill Commons and Noblesville, Jerry will remind you about this at the end of the service, but uh, our Noblesville campus pastor, Steve, is going to pick it up in John chapter 14. He's going to talk about another promise that is offered to us as followers of Jesus, and so I hope you'll make plans to join us next week as well. But today, the first of those promises, like what kind of hope does Jesus offer us in our trouble? Let's pick it up together in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Here's what Jesus says. He says to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The word trouble here is the same word that Jerry talked about last week that describes the emotions that Jesus experienced uh, at the thought of Judas' betrayal. These were the same emotions, the trouble that he demonstrated standing in front of Lazarus' tomb. It's the same word that's used to describe a stormy sea. Now, I know we're not seafaring people here in central Indiana, but I think you can imagine for yourself the, the danger, the the fear, the terror of being caught out on an open, dangerous sea. I wonder if that describes anybody's life here today. You know, a stormy sea that you can't escape. The great thing about Jesus is that he knows what you're like. Uh, he knows what, what I'm like. He knows what I'm going through. He knows our pain. He knows our fears and our tendencies. Why did the disciples have troubled hearts? All right, again, it's the night before the crucifixion, but I think there are at least a few reasons why the disciples were, were upset, why they were troubled. The first was just the anticipation of failure. 
Uh, remember from last week, chapter 13, again, Jesus and the disciples are in the upper room. There's the Passover meal. No one took the initiative to wash feet. So Jesus got down on his knees. He did. And then Jesus talked about how one of them was going to betray him. And, and not too long after that, Judas got up and, and he left the room to go about his business. But it wasn't just Judas because Jesus confronted Peter about his upcoming denials. And we also know from the text uh, that the disciples basically abandoned Jesus in these most critical hours, so they were guilty, if you would, or would be uh, a failure as well. And so you could say their hearts were troubled as they realized that they were going to let Jesus down. But it wasn't just failure, it was also confusion, all right? Because think about what's happening for these men. Just a few days prior, they've lined the city streets of Jerusalem, all right, as Jesus rides into town on that triumphal entry, people are, are yelling, Hosanna, like they are ready to make him king. And then all of that's changing, and so what's going on here? In fact, uh, you know, what, 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 was, what was the challenges that, that, what were the things going on in the disciples' minds? But, but I heard somebody ask, what about Judas? Like, have you, have you ever really thought, like, why, why did Judas turn his back on Jesus? Have you considered that before? Like, why did Judas do what he did? Why did he sell Jesus out? Well, as I studied the events, I don't really think it was because Judas wanted to make a few extra bucks off of turning Jesus in. Some scholars suggest that Judas was trying to force Jesus' hand. You know, his name, he's often referred to as Judas Iscariot. Iscariot's not his last name, all right? That's the, the community that he was from. He was from Cario, the, the is, the prefix there, meaning he was from the village of Cario. Some scholars say Cario was known to be a, a village full of zealots. What's a zealot? Well, a zealot's full of zeal. They're full of passion. They hated Rome. They would go to whatever lengths were necessary to take Rome out. In fact, if that means drawing the sword, they were ready to do that at any and every moment. That's where Judas grew up. I think it was in him. Some suggest that it was in him. And so why did he do what he did? Well, he wanted Jesus to take control by force with the sword. But when it started to become obvious that Jesus had other plans, Judas devised a plan to turn Jesus in, hoping that the arrest would cause Jesus to act, that maybe in the heat of the moment, Jesus would get upset and start a revolution of his own. That's what Judas wanted, but not Jesus. Judas or Jesus was focused on the cross. That's where Jesus is going. And Judas, well, his plan failed miserably as Jesus was eventually arrested, tried, and crucified. And so what did Judas do? Well, he couldn't live with his shame. And so he returned the reward and then took his own life. And so Judas was confused. The disciples were confused, but they were also afraid. I mean, that was a part of the trouble they were experiencing, the fear of not knowing what was to come, the fear of not knowing what would happen to them. They knew the Jews were plotting to kill Jesus. They might be next. And so all of these things... All of these emotions contributed to their troubled heart, and Jesus knew it. He could see it in them, and so he looked at them, and full of love, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God. You trust in me. Let me ask you something today. What, what's your plan? How, how do you go about dealing with your uh, troubled heart? I think there are all sorts of things we can do. I, I think uh, the tendency at times is, I've done this, I've been guilty of this, just ignore it. Uh, just pretend like it's not there. 
Uh, you can hide from it. You can try and hide from it. You can sleep it off. You can lose yourself in things like social media. We get really busy. We're great at this in Hamilton County. We'll just get really busy and keep grinding away, keep pushing ahead so that maybe you don't have to think about it. We, we self-medicate with things like drugs and alcohol and food. Uh, we, we let our worries uh, ruin us. Uh, people become toxic. Uh, we take out our anger and emotions on others. By the time we get to John 14, Jesus is on his way to the cross. He loves his friends. He knows they're about to go through one of the most difficult, most frightening moments in their lives. And he looks at them and he says, I don't want you to be troubled. Trust me. Like you can trust me. And here's what's true for us. All right. Put yourself in the room there with Jesus because Jesus' words for his disciples are his words for you and me too, that no matter what it is right now, no matter how painful, no matter how confusing it may be, the hope that we have is this, that you and I, we can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus. Like you can trust him as the leader of your life. You can trust him as your Lord and Savior. You can trust that he knows what you're going through. He, he knows how desperate we really are. And he invites us daily, every day to continue trusting him. And then he continues by helping us understand why we can trust him. Verse two, Jesus continues. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And so Jesus says, don't be troubled. You, you, you trust in me. And then he continues by explaining one of the ways that he can and will comfort us in our troubles. Jesus says, I'm going to leave you soon, but don't be afraid. I am going to prepare an eternal place, an eternal destination for you. Our family went to New York City a few weeks ago, kind of a, a last fun trip for the summer before everybody goes back to school, before Joel goes off to college. We uh, flew into Newark, New Jersey early in the morning. We rented a car. We drove to Staten Island where we got on the Staten Island Ferry, and we rode the ferry past the Statue of Liberty into Upper Manhattan. And for the next 10 hours or so, we did subways. I think we did 15 miles on foot trying to see as much of New York City as you can possibly see uh, in a really short period of time. I have a little bit of experience getting around New York City. I spent four days there about five years ago. And on that previous trip, we used the subways. And so I had enough confidence to think, okay, we can do this. All right, we can figure this out. And thanks to things like the iPhone uh, maps program, you can, you can plug in your phone, right? And say, well, okay, I'm at the World Trade Center and I want to get to Times Square. And so what do I need to do? There's that little train button. Well, sure enough, it'll tell you you need to get on the number one green train, all right, and ride towards uh, Times Square. It, it has an eventual destination, but you need to make sure to get off at the Times Square exit, all right? Here, here's the hope and the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. Like as Christians, we know we have to be reminded that there's more to life than this world, that there is something better on the other side of this. And so if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, all right, if you call yourself a Christian, like you know, you have this confidence that he is preparing a place for you in heaven. He calls it my father's house. And again, he's talking about heaven, this eternal destination that is in front of us for every person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus. Look at his words again. Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. The word room here is the same Greek word also translated as abode. It describes a place of residence or as one person says, a room with your name 
on it. And the great thing that we know about heaven is that Jesus will be there. All right, and as John, the same John who has copied down these words, we know as the gospel of John, is the one who wrote down the words of the book of Revelation, he helps us see in Revelation a little bit of what heaven will be like as he describes heaven as a place of no more tears and no more wars, no more shootings, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more guilt and shame, no more saying goodbye. People that you've lost and dearly love who have also trusted Christ, these reunions that will take place, there'll be no more trouble. And you know what I think? Like I, I, think, I think we all desire a place like that. And I say that because even if you're here today and you uh, don't really call yourself a Christian, even if you're here right now watching online, I mean, uh, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, I think all of us have a picture. Like we have a, a desire for something else. There, there has to be more to this. There has to be something on the other side. Like something has to be different about what we're currently experiencing. C.S. Lewis calls it the inconsolable longing. Here's what he writes about this desire for heaven that's in each of us. He says, there have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our hearts we have ever desired anything else. He says, it is the secret signature of each soul, the incommunicable and unappeasable want, the thing we desired before we met our wives, our friends, or chose our work and which we shall still desire on our deathbeds when the mind no longer knows wife or friend or work. C.S. Lewis could see the longing of heaven in all people. Blaise Pascal uh, called it a God-shaped hole in the soul of every person. God's word, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 reminds us that God put eternity in the hearts of all people. And so should we be surprised as Jesus stares in the eyes of his disciples? He could see the fear. He could see the stress. He could see the worry in them. And what was his encouragement? You keep trusting me. I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be confusing. I know it's going to be trying. You keep trusting me and hang on to this promise that I am going to prepare a place for you, a permanent dwelling. And here's what that means for us. That means that when life threatens to overtake you, when, when you don't feel like you've got anywhere to turn, anywhere to go, when you don't have questions to the answers that you're searching for, like you and I, we can find comfort for our troubled heart as we're reminded that this life is not the end of the line, that this life is not the end of the journey, that earth isn't, in, isn't your final train stop. No, the promise that we have is that Jesus is preparing a place. He is preparing an eternal place for us. And that's easy to forget, right? I'm guilty of that because we can get so caught up into this world and I can get so caught up into my circumstances and into the day-to-day -day grind that it's easy to lose perspective, to, to forget that trusting Jesus means so much more than this life than we know right now. And that's why keeping heaven in mind, according to Jesus, has the potential, if we let it, to bring great peace into our hearts and our souls. The Apostle Paul had it figured out. He endured pain and hardship over and over again as he followed Jesus, but was still able to say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Basically, this isn't our forever home. This is our temporary home here on earth as Christians. We're here on assignment. He says, we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep in mind that Paul wrote these words from prison. All right, he's in a difficult place. As he says, I may experience pain and suffering in this life, 
but I'm keeping my head up. I'm looking ahead to what's to come. He says, my citizenship is in heaven. I'm a stranger here. I'm a foreigner here. I am an alien here in this place. But Jesus defeated things like death and sin on the cross. And because he's my savior, I know he's preparing an eternal place for me. But heaven is my final destination. Heaven is the eternal destination for those of us who have put our faith and trust in God. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have the confidence of knowing that heaven is your final destination. And, and, and if you've done that with your life, like you, you have nothing to be afraid of. Jesus says to his disciples, he reminds you and me that he has a place prepared for us. But if you've never done that, if you've never done that before, well, I would just say that's something important to consider. You know, because you, you can't reject Jesus this side of death and then change your mind on the other side. Like trusting Jesus is something that you've got to do with your life. And even right now, like consider it an invitation that's available to anyone, to each of us. Like trusting Jesus is the most important decision you can ever make in your life. And not just so that you can solidify your eternal address, but really Jesus offers so much more for today. He's got so much more in mind for each of us. And if you've ever wondered to yourself, well, does he even care about me? Or like, you, you don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the shame. You don't know the pain that I've caused. Jesus would never take or consider me. I want to remind you today that Christ died for all. That, that his love is greater than any wound. It's capable of healing any pain, redeeming any sin. The good news is that it's not about what you or I can do for Jesus. Like it's nothing that we earn. It's all about what Jesus has done for you and what he's done for me. And he loves you and he died for you. And he offers the gift of his eternal life and forgiveness to every single one of us. I like the way William Barclay says that he says, heaven is as wide as the heart of God and there's room for all. There's room for all, which means you can trust him. He loves you. He's preparing a place for you with your name on it. Jesus told the disciples, I'll be leaving you soon, but don't be afraid. I'm gonna prepare a place for you, which means something else. Verse three, he continues, he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And so not only is Jesus preparing a place for us, uh, but he is coming back. And, and it's true. Like I'm choosing to believe this. You know, I'm choosing to put my hope uh, and, and my faith in his word, which reminds us that he is coming back. Like that's the hope and the promise of Jesus that we may not see him now, but he is alive and he will come again to take us to be with him. Dads, isn't that how you comfort your young child? I remember what it was like to have a young child, maybe a toddler. Dad, have you ever gone through a moment like this where mom's going out for the day? She needs some time. She deserves some time away. And so it's you and the kid, all right? It's just you and the kid. But as the kid watches mom grow, go, the kid just comes unglued with emotions. And so you comfort your child by saying, don't worry, mommy will be back. And you try not to be offended, all right, in that moment of like, hey, I'm completely capable of taking care of this moment, all right, I got a part in all of this too. And so you try not to be offended, but you encourage them in knowing that mama's coming back. Not only is Jesus preparing a place for us, he's coming back. 
Genesis, I want you to know this morning that Jesus will return. He is going to come again as he promised. The New Testament alone uh, includes something like 318 references to the truth that Jesus is going to come again. We are going to see him face to face. And I don't know what that does to you, but I just know this. I've seen and experienced enough sickness. I'm tired of the fighting and the wars. I I don't want to live in fear anymore. Like my enthusiasm for Jesus' return is increasing. I can't wait for him to come back. And uh, I turned to these words in 1 Thessalonians this past week. The Apostle Paul writes these. He's using them to encourage people like you and me that are in the grind, that are going through the difficulties or dealing with things like fear. And here's what he has to say to them about life and death and Jesus' return. He says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. He's basically referring to anyone who has lost their life, that has gone before. He refers to them as being asleep in death. He says, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. Some of you know this. You've lost dear people that you love, sometimes tragically, sometimes quickly, all right? Other times it seems to be a little bit more natural, but you know because they live for Jesus, the funeral's just different, all right? It's more of a celebration, really, and that's what Paul is saying here, that that when you put your hope in Christ, when you lose people who have put their faith and trust in Christ, it's a different kind of grieving. It's different than those who have no hope. He says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, And he continues, he says, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And basically just to kind of cut to the chase here that Jesus is going to return one day for those of the, uh, those that have already lost their lives, but trusted the Lord, they're with the Lord in heaven, but there's going to be this reunion of sorts, even with those who are asleep in their bodies and their souls and Jesus in the sky. And those of us that are living at the time when Jesus returns, there's just going to be this great reunion in the sky. He says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, all right? And so picture this if you can. He says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And what does he have to say about these words? He says, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And then here's his encouragement, his command to us. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul says, encourage one another with these words, especially when you're troubled, when fear creeps in, and when you and I experience loss. Can I encourage you with these words today? Jesus is coming back. He is coming back for his children and we will live with him forever and eternity. And Jesus continues in verse four saying, you know the way to the place where I am going to which the disciple Thomas was bold enough and courageous to ask, Lord, we don't really know what you're talking about. You need to be a little clearer here for us. Everybody wanted to ask the question. Thomas was the only one that was bold enough to ask verse five, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus responded to Thomas, but really all of the disciples with some of the most quoted words from the text. Verse six, Jesus answered them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Three significant words that Jesus uses to describe himself. He says, I am the way, reminding us that there is only one way to God. 
There's only one way to find peace with God in this world, to heaven, for salvation. It's through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. You can't earn it. You and I, we don't deserve it. There's no amount of good that you or I can do this side of heaven to make us right with God. Jesus is the only way to forgiveness. He is the only way to healing. He is the only way to salvation. The only way to eternity with God in heaven is through Jesus. He is the way through. The Jews, the rabbis talked a lot about the path that you live, the path that you choose for yourself, the path that you live on. What's the path of God, the will of God, the way of God, how do you live for God in this world? Jesus says, I am the way. Follow me. Model me with your life. I am the way. He says, I am the truth, which just means that he is the perfect representative and revealer of God in this world. Jesus hears what God says and obeys it all He is that he's told to do. He is the truth. Many will claim to tell the truth. Jesus is the only truth. He is the only one that can fully embody the truth. And he is also our life. You know this, many of you know this, you're discovering this each and every day that you and I, we're not gonna find true satisfaction or significance in this world apart from Jesus Christ. There's no amount of money that can save you. There's no relationship that can completely fulfill you. There's not a house large enough. There's not a piece of property uh, that can satisfy you what only and truly can be found in Jesus Christ. He is our life. Even Jesus said what? I am the resurrection and the life, which means that he is the goal. He is the end. He is everything we will ever need. And so this is the good news. Like this is the good news for anyone, any one of us, anyone watching today who has a troubled heart, as we're reminded that he is all we need. We can put our trust in him. He is preparing a place for us in heaven. And one day, one day he's going to return and he's going to take us to be with him. And that's hope for the future. All right, that's, that's amazing. That, that's, that's beyond probably anything we can comprehend of knowing that that day will come. But it's also hope for today. It has the potential to make all the difference this afternoon and this week, no matter what you encounter, no matter what you go through. Let me explain. My, uh, my son Joel and I, the one that went off to college, uh, back in June, we got to take a three-and-a-half-day trip uh, with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's dad and, and other daughter and about six, seven other people. Uh, we did three and a half days on the Appalachian Trail uh, in Shenandoah National Forest. And it was an awesome experience. Like, I, I love being outside, all right? I love, you know, hiking and all that. But I'll just tell you, I've never done anything like backpacking overnight before because I like showers, all right? Um, I like coffee. Uh, I like sleeping in my bed and, and, and all of those types of things. And so some of you have more experience in this. You've done trips like these before, but even this three and a half day, 45 mile hiking trip was really quite the physical event, you know, and with the 25 pound pack uh, on my back, I, I describe it this way. Imagine the hardest hike that you've done within reason, right? Over and over again, 30 times. Like it was just up a mountain, down a mountain, up a mountain, down a mountain. And we just did that every day for three and a half days. And I've got this picture here. Uh, this is the last morning we woke up Sunday. I look old. I look tired there. Um, it, and we've got eight miles to go. We're finishing up Sunday morning with an eight-mile hike. And I'll tell you what I knew was on the other side of that eight miles. 
coffee, uh, a buffet, clean clothes, you know, air conditioning, the opportunity to finally rest. And I was hurting. I was hurting on that last month. Like I run, I run most every day. So I feel like I'm in pretty good shape, but there were just muscles hurting that I had not experienced and pains and stuff that it's like, man, I am, I am really getting older. I just shouldn't be out here any longer. But here's the thing. Here's what it boils down to. That final morning, eight miles to go, even all the ups and downs, I knew there was a destination. And so with every step, I just kept pushing as the rest of our team kept pushing because I know there was something really good at the finish line. I think you know this, where this is going. Like we, we are here in this world for a reason. Like God has ordained every single day of your life for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring him glory. That purpose is to help others find their way back to him. And we're going to go through trials and we're going to go through troubles. Jesus told us we would. But he also told us, he says, you know, as you're living this life and as you're walking with me, and we'll talk about another promise next week that makes all the difference in this world. He says, you keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes and your mind on the destination. Because it doesn't end here. Keep going. Keep trusting. And we're reminded of this too as a church family that we're here for a purpose. We're not just here holding out. We're not just here to survive. We're not here to take out our swords and start a revolution either. But we are here to serve Jesus. We are to, as we talked about last week, love one another as Jesus loved us. We are to be the hands and feet of Jesus to this world with every day he has given us. But let's not forget, please don't forget, no matter what you're going through, that he is coming back. And he has a place for us. And it's for each of us, if you've put your faith and trust in him, if you would do that today. Let me pray. God in heaven, we thank you for your wonderful promises, for these words here in John chapter 14, the words of Jesus, that we don't have to be troubled, that we can trust in you because you're working it out and you've got a plan and you love us. You love us more than we can imagine. As we're gonna see next week, you've offered us a promise a presence to go with us each and every day that we never have to do this alone. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is the way. Thank you that he is the truth and thank you that he is the life. And I pray that you would use this time, Lord, however you would choose to encourage our hearts, to increase our faith and our trust in you. For those watching online, somebody there today who needs these words from John chapter 14, would you take them and impress them upon their hearts? that their faith in you would increase. Father, we thank you. Father, I want to pray for that person that's here today that's never put their faith and trust in you. Maybe you sense that God is doing something in your life. Maybe you feel his calling. Maybe you're ready to say with your life today, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. I want to put my faith in you. You can do that. Maybe some of you are doing that even right now, responding to him and praying in that way. There's no greater decision you can make. We're happy to talk with you about that today. We'll have some people up front afterwards. We'd love to talk or pray with you about a decision like that and what it means to follow Jesus. We'd love to help you take those steps as a church family. But also, Lord, will you just continue to remind us of the important role we play as a church family of helping others know you, of sharing the love of Jesus with others. Father, we want to live 
with your promises in mind and the promise today that you are preparing a place, that this isn't the end of the journey, that there is something better, there is something greater. And we thank you, God, that you offer to that, us to that in Jesus, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.